Well, we want to pick back up on our study on the attributes of God. And last session, we talked about, by way of introduction, um, just the attributes themselves. What is an attribute? Uh, What are the attributes? How are they interconnected? Why are they important in your life? Uh, We now come to the first attribute that I want us to to, to, to consider and it's difficult to know where to begin because it's almost like where do you, God, I mean, it's almost like 10,000 oceans. Where do you first put your toe into the water? Um, and different theologians and different systematic theologies start at different entry points, and there is no right or wrong way to begin the study. But I will start with you as many others have started with the aseity of God. That's a word that I don't normally use in my day-to-day conversation, and you probably do not either. Um, it's a Latin word, and it, it speaks to the self-existence of God. The self-existence of God is an incredibly important truth about God. Uh, let's begin with the meaning of aseity. It's a Latin word that means out of self, out of self, or self-reliant. It means to have being or existence within oneself. Only God has aseity. Only God has being and existence with within himself. Every one of us has existence from God. Every one of us has life from God and, and in God. It is in God that we live and move and have our being, Acts 17. Only God is self-contained within himself, dependent upon no one and nothing outside of himself for his own existence. The basis of God's Self-existence is found within himself. He is not caused by anything or anyone outside of himself. As I've already said, he is not dependent upon anything or anyone. Therefore, God alone is independent. That's what the word independent means. You're not codependent. You're not dependent upon anyone or anything else for one's existence. Herman Bavinick, the great Dutch theologian says, aseity, he says, which means absolute essence, may be called the primary attribute of God's being. Bavinick goes on to say, we must therefore affirm God's aseity that there is nothing above him. Close quote. So what we are saying and what the scripture teaches is that God is self-sufficient, God is self-sustaining, and God is self-satisfied. God is the source of all that there is. God is life. God possesses all life, and God is the giver of all life. 
God has received life from no one else or nothing else. He is the source and the giver of all life, whether it be physical life, spiritual life, or eternal life. God receives nothing from outside of himself. It's a staggering thought. Concerning the self-existence of God, we see it the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before creation of all that there is, God was already in existence. God has always been in existence. And throughout all eternity past, God was always God without beginning. Psalm 93, verse 2, Your throne is established from of old. We would ask the question, well, how old is the throne of God? The next line in verse 2 gives the answer. You are from everlasting. That is what Ephesians 1.4 calls before the foundation of the world. Titus 1.2 refers to as long ages ago. Daniel 7.13 says God is the ancient of days. Micah 5.2 concerning Christ, it says his goings forth were from long ago, from the days of eternity. He stepped out of eternity into time. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Connected to the aseity of God is this aspect of the eternality of God. You and I have existence throughout all eternity future. Whether we are in heaven or in hell, there will be no end to the eternal living of our soul. But that is only in one direction. We have a beginning. But with God, not only will God exist throughout all eternity future, but God has existed from all eternity past without beginning. At no point did God not exist. There was never a time when God was not. R.C. Sproul has argued brilliantly, if anything exists, then something has always existed. Selah. Pause and meditate. <laughs> if anything exists, then something has always existed. Sproul goes on to say in this same unit of thought, if there was, if there ever was absolutely nothing, 
then nothing could possibly be now. Because you cannot get something out of nothing, which is what the atheist is forced to believe. Sproul goes on, conversely, if there is something now, then that in itself demonstrates that there was always something. And that which always is exists in and of itself. That is the one, capital O, who has the power of being within himself, the living God, close quote. Powerful argument. If anything exists now, then something has always existed. And that something is a someone. And that someone is the living God. So God's eternality is essentially a part of his aseity. God is without beginning. God is without end. He is the uncreated creator. Isaiah 43, verse 10. Before me, God is the speaker. Before me, there was no God. There was no God formed. And there will be none after me. Nothing precedes God. No one precedes God. Nothing and no one upholds God. And no God will follow God. A.W. Pink is classic, the attributes of God. Everyone needs to go buy ten copies and read them all. The first chapter of the attributes of God, which just I'll never forget being in seminary and picking up this book and reading it and my mind being expanded as it has never been expanded before. It is a classic. A.W. Pink writes in that opening chapter called The Solidariness of God. There was a time if time it could be called, when God, in the unity of his nature, subsisting equally in three divine persons, dwelt all alone. In the beginning, God, there was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There was no angel. There were no angels to him his praises, no universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one, but God. And that not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. During a past eternity, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing.
had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way, they also had been called into existence from all eternity. The creating of them, when he did, added nothing to God, essentially. It changed, changes nothing. Therefore, his essential glory can be neither augmented nor diminished. God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part. caused by nothing outside of himself, determined by nothing, but his own mere good pleasure. For he works all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11, that he did create was simply for his manifestive glory. Close quote nothing lacking in himself, no necessity within himself. He has created everything out of nothing simply as a venue to manifest his own greatness before his own eyes. And that his son would have a bride who would sing his praises forever and ever and ever. Aseity means to have being or existence within one's self. God has all life in himself. The basis of his own life is himself. John 1, 4 says of the second person of the Godhead, in him was life. John 5, 26, Jesus said, the, said the Father has life in himself. That is to say, he is the possessor of all life. He is the source of all life. He is the power of all life. He is the giver of all life. He is the taker of all life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. Romans 9.26, Paul writes that God is the living God. Acts 17, verse 28, it is in him, God, that we live and move and have our being. God is all-sufficient in himself in need of nothing outside of himself. 
Romans 11, verse 34 to 36 are some of the most transcendent, majestic verses in the entire Bible. Whenever I sign a book for someone, I write my name and write Romans eleven thirty six. And the church where I have pastored, we have Romans eleven thirty six on the wall of the church. It is the most all-inclusive statement in any language on the planet. There is nothing that exists outside of Romans eleven thirty six. It is a systematic theology in itself. There is no thought outside of Romans eleven thirty six. I want to begin in verse 34 as we're thinking about the aseity of God, the self-existence of God, that God is not dependent upon anyone or anything. In Romans eleven thirty-four, Paul, quoting the Old Testament, writes, For who has known the mind of of the Lord, or who became his counselor? To whom does God go for counseling? It's a rhetorical question, the answer of which is no one. No one gives God direction. God gives direction. No one gives God insight. No one gives God help. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Who does God consult? No one. There's nothing from the outside coming in to God. Look at the next verse, which advances this argument further. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Who has given God any provision? Who has given God any power? Who has given God anything? The answer is no one. Nothing. God has it all. God is all. Then verse 36 is the slam dunk. Notice the first word, for. The word for introduces an explanation of what has preceded. This is the bottom line summation of the previous two, really three verses. For, from him, and through him, and to him, or what? Is there anything outside of all things? 
All things are all things. From him, through him, to him are all things. From him means that God is the source of all things. All things have come forth from God. Second, through him means he is the means of all things. The upholding, the maintaining, the directing of how many things? All things. And then it says, and to him, which means he's the goal, the aim. All things are not for us. All things are for him. Or to put it another way, from him means all things are from his sovereign will. That was dramatic. <laughs> All things are from his sovereign will. Has anything come forth that is not from God? You need to understand even the devil is God's devil. All things are from him, then through him means through his sovereign activity. And then to him means to his sovereign glory. Nothing originates in itself. Nothing proceeds in itself. And nothing is for itself. That is a weighty thought. I meet some people and sometimes I wonder, what is the deepest thought that has ever entered your mind? Nothing originates in itself. Nothing proceeds in itself. And nothing is for itself. God is even... Proverbs 16... Verse 4 says, God has made even the wicked for the final day. The ultimate goal and chief purpose of the universe does not revolve around us. But it revolves around his eternal, self-contained, self-sufficient being it's the aseity of God let me give you some more verses these are really worth writing down too 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6 reads Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist 
for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. All things are from him, by him, through him, to him. It is a worldview of prepositions. In Ephesians 4 and verse 6, we read, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I mean, we can just start stacking these prepositions up. I mean, all things are from him, through him, in him, by him, for him, to him. There is your world view. Colossians 1, verse 17, He, referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That is to say, all that He has created out of nothing, He sustains the universe moment by moment and maintains His laws of gravity and thermodynamics and and all of the affairs of providence. Uh, He is the mighty Atlas who is holding everything up and holding everything together. I mean, sometimes people say, we're going to blow the world up. No, you're not. Not till Jesus does. He's got the whole world in the palm of his hands. Hebrews 1, verse 3, and he, referring to Jesus Christ, is the radiance of his glory, referring to the Father. Jesus, not just the reflection, he is the radiance of his glory, referring to his intrinsic glory, and the exact representation of his nature. That is to say, he is co-equal, and all that the Father is, the Son is, and upholds all things, not just England, not just the UK, all things by the word of his power. He spoke it all into existence, and by his mere breath, he upholds all that there is. The orbit of the planets, the turning of the earth, the tilt on the axis, the changing of the seasons, He controls it all. Everything is flowing from him. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, He is the fountain of life. All life is flowing from him. Jeremiah 2 verse 13, He is the fountain of living waters. There are no waters flowing into him. All waters are flowing out of him. I've been on one of these buses 
I've become a, a, addicted to being on top of one of these, but I've just been riding around the city. I think I've gone around it five times the last two days, just looking everywhere. There's the blue line, there's the red line. I, I know all the bus routes in London now. And we go right past Westminster Chapel. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached there. Before Martin Lloyd-Jones was G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan was preaching across town on the greatness of God. And when the service was over, a very proper, small, older lady with white kid gloves, at the end of the service, came to G. Campbell Morgan in the lobby said, Oh, what a fine sermon. Lovely. And she asked Campbell Morgan, Do I pray only about big things in my life? Can I pray about little things? G. Campbell Morgan said, My dear lady, everything in your life is little. You have nothing big in your life. We are all dwarfed by Almighty God. And the things that seem big to us in our life, if the nations are a speck of dust on the scales, what must our problems be? We are vitally important to God. Don't misunderstand. He has set his affections upon us. There is nothing hard. There is nothing impossible. There is nothing big. Everything that God does in our life is effortless. That is the aseity of God. Let's move to the spirituality of God. A.W. Tozier also said, I believe it's in the knowledge of the Holy One, the weightiest word in any language is its word for God. The mightiest word in any language is its word for God. Close quote. The reason is, God is the mightiest, and God is the weightiest reality in the universe. We are studying the attributes of God. R.C. Sproul has shared that this study of God, which in systematic theology is known as theology proper, there's bibliology, 
theology proper, Christology, pneumatology, anthropology, or angelology, anthropology, harmatology, soteriology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. Those are the ten areas of theology. Study of the Bible, study of God, study of Christ, study of the Holy Spirit, study of the angels, including Satan and demons, study of man, study of sin, study of salvation, study of the church, and study of last things. Therein is, are the disciplines of systematic theology. Sproul argues that theology proper, which is the study of the existence of God, the attributes of God, the triunity of God, and the eternal decree of God, is the key that unlocks every other area of theology. It becomes the worldview through which we see every other area of theology. We can't understand the Bible, what it is, and how we have received it, nor the Son, nor the Spirit, nor angels, nor man made in the image of God, nor sin, which is revolt against God, nor salvation, which is the grace of God, nor the church, which is the body of God, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, nor the last things without a proper understanding of theology proper, God himself. That's how important this is that we're studying. Now, as we consider the spirituality of God, the spirituality of God, there are three headings that I want to hang to develop this, and we may only have time for one of these three just to give you hope for lunch. Number one, immaterial. And when I say immaterial, I do not mean unimportant. Immaterial means that God is without material substance. God is without a physical body. God is a spiritual substance. God is a spirit being. Small s. God is not enclosed in a physical body. John 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit. And by the way, that's a small s as it's properly translated. And thus, so there's no capital letters in the Greek, but means God is a spirit being. You may say, well, what about those verses in the Bible that says, the hands of the Lord? Isaiah 65, 2, or the feet of the Lord, Genesis 3, 8, or the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking, looking, 
for the heart of the one who is completely his. 1 Kings 8, 29. What about the ears of the Lord? Nehemiah 1, 8. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? To the contrary, this is a figure of speech that is known as an anthropomorphic expression that represents God to us in human-like features. I spoke of this Sunday night, the face of the Lord, the back of the Lord, and I do not want to repeat myself needlessly, but it, it bears saying again that as John Calvin said, God is infinite and we are finite, and for infinite God to communicate himself to finite man, he must come all the way down to our pre-kindergarten state and talk to us in virtually baby talk, dad, dad, mama. And in order to communicate himself to us, he has had to use figures of speech to represent himself to us in ways that we can gain some small concept of the vast, infinite greatness of God. And so the eyes of the Lord simply means God sees everything in every place. The ears of the Lord means that God hears everything. The hands of the Lord means that God is actively intervening. The arm of the Lord, the right arm of the Lord, means that God is mighty and, and powerful. God is a spirit being. That is so important. Or we would not have omnipresence. And other attributes would be sacrificed. Limited, restricted. But because God is immaterial, there are no restrictions. to his presence, to his knowledge. I also want to quickly say that God has personality. This is still under immaterial. And by personality, I simply mean that God has revealed himself not as an it, but as a person. God is a personal living being in his immaterial substance. He is not an impersonal force. He is not an eternal thing. He is not an inanimate object like this pulpit. God possesses all the attributes of personhood. And to boil those down to the three main components, mind, emotion, and will. A rock does not have a mind. A rock does not have emotions. A rock does not have a will. But a person does. God has intellect. It seems trite to say, but God is an infinite genius. 
He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is brilliant. He is all-wise. God knows. God thinks. God reasons. God studies. God apprehends. God comprehends. God compares. God deduces. He assesses. He analyzes. He sizes up. He concludes. He makes judgments. God is brilliant. God has emotions. God is not a stoic sovereign playing chess in heaven with the chessboard of this world, emotionally disconnected or without emotions. The ancient gods of Greek mythology were above it all, disconnected from the world below. God feels, God, God loves, God hates, God rejoices, He takes pleasure in, God is grieved, God is angered, God is pleased, God sets His affections upon, and God has a will, God chooses. God purposes, God determines, God resolves, God passes over, God is determinative in his choices. So as an immaterial, personal being, God is to be worshipped in similar fashion. John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit, small s, and truth. God cannot be seen. Therefore, as we worship God, it is the human spirit, it is the heart attitude, not the eyes that are important to God. And we must worship Him in truth. God is immaterial. Second, God is invisible. Because he is immaterial, second, he is invisible. God is in this room right now. God is in our midst. God is as much here as he is in heaven. The fullness of God is in this room. There is no part of God left out of this room. Because he is without any physical form, he cannot be seen, but that does not mean he is not present. 
John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. I've done a word study on this. This is how it reads. No one has seen God at any time. <laughs> it means what it says and says what it means. If someone comes up to you and says they've seen God, just write them off as an insane quack. John MacArthur tells the story of this deranged, um, highly emotional speaker who shared with him, I was in the bathroom shaving and God appeared to me and I saw God. MacArthur said, you, you saw God? He said, yes, I saw God. He said, did you keep shaving? Because if you did, it wasn't God. I mean, what would you see if it was God, if God is invisible? God has manifested his presence in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Incarnation, which makes for the extraordinary uniqueness of the Incarnation. And God has made himself known through light, as we saw Sunday evening, dazzling, blinding, radiant light that even Moses had to go hide in a rock and God cover him up with his hands and then only the backside pass by and then that light be in a cloud, filter after filter after filter after filter as God makes himself known through manifestation of of light, but God is invisible. John six forty six. Not that anyone has seen the Father. Colossians one fifteen. Jesus, or Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You cannot see the invisible God. That's what it means to be invisible. First Timothy 1, 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. We sing that hymn, immortal, invisible, God only wise. First Timothy 6, 16. God whom no man has seen or can see. That's why we must live by faith and not by sight. So God is invisible. Third, God is infinite. Which means literally without end. No end, or the idea of no limitations, no restrictions. Because God has no physical body, and because God is a spirit being, and because he is a divine spirit being, he has no boundaries, no limits. He is free from all physical limitations. He is in no way limited by time and space. God is above it all. God is infinite in his being. 
There is no place that his being does not permeate. There is no knowledge that he does not have in full. There is no power that he does not possess in full. He is not limited by any other being or by any other thing. He is not limited by time. He is not limited by, by space. And because God is infinite, he is incomparable, and he is incomprehensible, and he is inscrutable. Job 5, verse 9, speaks of God who does great and unsearchable things. If it's unsearchable, that means you can't find it out. You can't figure it out. It is beyond you. Those lines intersect far above your head. If you could figure it all out and understand it all, he would not be God. Job 9, verse 10, God who does great things unfathomable and wondrous works without number. They're innumerable. They're unfathomable. Job 11, verse 7, can you discover the depths of God? Rhetorical question, no. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? The answer is no, because he is limitless. They're as high as the heavens. What can you do? I mean, you can only peer at the clouds. You can only peer up into the, into the atmosphere, but you can't even physically see all the way to the uppermost recesses at the heights of heaven where God dwells. And by the way, that's what the word heaven means. It means heights. And to be in the highest heavens means to be in the heights of heights. But it's not just physically beyond us. He is intellectually beyond us. They're as high as the heavens. What can you do? The answer to that is nothing. Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? The answer to that is nothing. Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. In other words, we can't get to the bottom of God. We can't get to the, to the heights of, of God. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable beyond the limits of our understanding. Sometimes I'll talk with someone that I meet randomly someplace or seemingly randomly, and they will say, well, you know, God's like this. I'm just like blinking my eyes. Like, so you figured out God without a Bible. <laughs> Amazing. Isaiah 40, verse 28, his understanding is inscrutable. The word inscrutable means incomprehensible, exceeding the boundaries of our abilities to think or comprehend. Now, God, by his grace, 
has lowered himself to reveal himself to us. And what he has revealed about himself, we must embrace it. We must receive it. We must believe it. But it is but the hem of his garment. It is but the tip of a vast, infinite mountain of reality. This is the spirituality of God, immaterial, invisible, infinite, immense. And because he is immense, he cannot be contained. 1 Kings 8.27, the heights of heaven cannot contain you. God comes to church here. God comes to church across the ocean. If you get on a plane and fly to South Africa, God's waiting on you and you get off the plane. He was with you on the plane. He was the one who helped you onto the plane. The immensity of God cannot be contained or restricted in any place. We'll talk more about the omnipresence of God. It is so encouraging and it is so convicting that God is in every place. I think I need to close in a word of prayer, and it's time for lunch. And I understand that we'll be back in one hour at 2 o'clock, and you're going to want to be here because we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. And in America, we'd call this, we're going to play big boy football. (laughs) We're going to play big boy football when we come back from lunch. And then we're going to follow it up with the holiness of God. Okay? So we're not, we're not letting up. Our foot's on the gas pedal. We're going to keep pushing down. There's no brakes in this car. We're just going to speed ahead into the greatness of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time for us to look into your word and to try to grasp who you are, what you are, how you are, why you are, where you are. Lord, it's it's so far beyond us, it's we don't even know where to begin to communicate how far beyond us you are. We praise you that you have initiated making yourself known to us, that you have come to us in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have made yourself known through special revelation through the Bible and through your Son. We thank you for general revelation all around us. 
but we're most grateful for special revelation in your word. I pray that you would bless everyone who is present here today. I pray that this would be more than just thoughts, more than just verses, more than just statements. I I pray that all that we're discussing here, which is you, would work its way down into the very fiber and fabric of our being, and that we would be...